Well, we're going to uh, have a uh, short break in our Exodus series for the next two weeks. Uh, we're going to, uh, this morning, uh, be looking at a uh, passage in Chronicles chapter 20. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, as I've been uh, sort of just reflecting this week on, uh, you know, the uh, situation and circumstances around the world, I'll be, uh, reading through some uh, emails that have sort of come across my desk. There was one particular um, uh, email that came and uh, it was a, um, an article written by a fellow, his name is uh, Jason Saville. He is actually a uh, pastor at an international school in China. And uh, he was um, reflecting a little bit on just one verse in this passage in Second Chronicles 3. It's in verse 12. We're going to read through this morning uh, from verse 1 through to 12. And then I just want to share some thoughts with you all just on, uh, on this passage this morning. So let us uh, let me let me read it uh, to us. So one, so Second Chronicles chapter twenty, verses one through to twelve. After this, Moabites and Ammonites, and with them <clears throat> some of the Meonites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, "A great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea." And behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar, that is, in Gedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and say. And now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy, behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of possession which you have given us to inherit our god will you not execute judgment on them for we are powerless against the great horde that is coming against us we do not know what to do but our eyes are on you this is the word of the lord this morning let us just pray and ask for god's blessing Precious God, as we just spend a bit of time reflecting on uh, this passage this morning, we pray that you might indeed encourage our hearts. Speak to us, O oh Lord. Help us to have ears and, uh, and minds that are, that are ready to listen, Lord, but lives that are ready to respond in obedience. Lord, to, uh, we pray that this morning we might have our focus upon you as our God, that we might not lose sight of you as the one who is indeed who rules over all things, over all kingdoms and lands. Gracious God, we pray that you might indeed just uh, speak to our hearts now through your word and lift us, encourage us, and 
Uh, Lord, equip us to be your servants in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we have certainly been uh, seen that our world has been upturned upside down in these past few weeks, haven't we? I don't think anyone could have anticipated uh, the impact that this virus was have across our world when it first reared its ugly head in China back, uh, you know, several, uh, several weeks ago. And despite all of humanity's advances, all, despite all of our technologies, all of our, our vast arrays of wealth, of power, of knowledge, the world has been brought to its knees by a microscopic germ. It's been remi- it's, I think it's reminded us afresh, hasn't it, that no matter how we think as human beings that we are in control. If we think that, we're kidding ourselves, aren't we? I mean, the circumstances have certainly shown us that. We've seen across our world that fear and panic have gripped many. And I think that we've seen this in a way that's not been seen probably about the middle of last century. Now, I wasn't around in the middle of last century. I came a little bit after that. But I, uh, in speaking to those who were around, I mean, the events such as World War II... I mean, you know, all of the, uh, the, the, de- the devastation and all the fear and, and, and that that gripped the world during those days. And even the uh, nuclear annihilation due to the Cuban Missile Crisis in the 60s. Some of you might have been around for that as well. You know how the world responded in, in that kind of thing. We're seeing something very, very similar today. Over a quarter of a million people across our world currently are sick with this, with this particular virus. We're seeing hundreds of people dying every day. Countries have literally been shut down. The world economy is in free fall. Systems are struggling to cope. Supermarket shelves are bare. And there is indeed an air of uncertainty that hangs over everything. And many people are struggling to know just what to do. That's uh, one of the things, as I said, that, passage that, uh, that this passage we're looking at this morning, that verse that just off the page at me was, Lord, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And I just asked this morning, where are your eyes fixed currently in their situation today? These were the words of King Jehoshaphat recorded for us here in this passage. King Jehoshaphat was one of the kings of the southern kingdom of Judah. Uh, the, um, the, uh, the nation of Israel had been divided after the rule of Solomon to the northern kingdom, the 12, uh, the 12 tribes, there was 10 in the north, and two Hoshaphat was one of the kings of the southern kingdom. He was a pretty good king. He had, his bad, he had his bad moments, but generally he instigated a lot of good reforms throughout the land, and he led the people pretty well through times of unrest and uncertainty. And this morning he is facing very much a new threat he and his people were facing the invading nations of the Moabites and the Ammonites and the group of people called the Meonites, probably another group, uh, probably a nomadic group from the uh, eastern side of the, uh, the Dead Sea. Now, we, we see that people, as they uh, mount a, uh, a force against the, uh, the nation of Judah and particularly the city of Jerusalem, God's city, we see that uh, they are intent on wiping. There was uh, we're, we're told in this passage that this particular um, group or this army was a great multitude. In verse two, there some men came and told Jehoshaphat, "A great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from on the sea, and behold, they are 
in Hazazon Tamar and Gedi. In other words, they were basically right on the very doorstep of Judah. And Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah faced an incredible and terrifying threat. It was a time of national crisis in this southern kingdom. And this threat was beyond anything they could possibly hope to overcome, and they were at a loss to know what to do. I mean, Jehoshaphat, he uh, thought his main threat was always going to come from the north, from the, uh, the people of the, uh, the, the ten tribes of Israel, because they were in conflict with one another. And so he had really fortified the northern borders of Judah very, very well, but the eastern border, he hadn't done so. And uh, he could see that the, the that, uh, people of, of, of his kingdom right now were under incredible threat. There were uh, a huge army coming to probably an army number in the tens of thousands. And he thought, this is it. We are in serious trouble. They were lost to know what to do. Now, right now, many of us, whether in our church or those, you know, uh, who, who are, you know, in in our own communities, there are many of us who are feeling powerless in the face of the circumstances that seem to many to be overwhelming. I know that there are those among us that have serious concerns for what's going to happen. There's serious concerns indeed for people's health at this time, for people's well-being, particularly for that of their loved ones. There are those who are feeling quite anxious due to the certainty of being able to have access to day-to-day basic essentials. Pastor Isaac mentioned already the toilet paper and the food and the medications and those sorts of things where the, uh, the shelves have been stripped bare in our, uh, in our supermarkets. And we don't know how long this is going to go on for. People's jobs are at risk. In fact, some have already been laid off and they don't know how they're going to pay their bills. For many of our retirees, your superannuation has taken a huge hit. Our security and peace have been dramatically impacted. And in the midst of such circumstances, it is Hoshaphat here in this passage who points us to where we can find hope and comfort and assurance at times such as these. And he says it when he points us to the fact that we are to keep our eyes on the Lord. He says, we don't know what to do, Lord, our eyes are firmly and firmly fixed upon you. Our eyes fixed on you. The king and his people were looking to God as they knew that he alone was their only hope in such circumstances. And whether the threat comes from invading armies or as he stated in verse 9, whether it comes from disaster whether it come from the sword, whether it come from judgment, whether it come from pestilence, whether it come from famine, whether it come from illnesses, diseases and sicknesses, wherever it comes from, Jehoshaphat confidently along with the people says, we will put our trust in you, Lord. Jehoshaphat was fearful. He was indeed fearful. We see that in verse 3. It says, then Jehoshaphat was afraid. And there are many people fearful and afraid today. But Jehoshaphat, in the midst of his fear, said that, Lord, our eyes will be on you. And it is what Jehoshaphat did with his fear that we should take note of and learn from today in our own situation. In verse 3, we see 
that Jehoshaphat took his fears to God and he urged his people to do the same. We read these words. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Three times in those two verses, we see that phrase, seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. Folks, it is indeed in times of crisis, in times of turmoil, in times of trouble, in times of uncertainty, that we are indeed to seek the Lord speaks of a deliberate turning towards God and calling out to him, particularly in prayer. Uh, our, our Queensland Baptists have just put out a, uh, an email in the last few days. We sent that out via email to, uh, to the folk of our church here, uh, encouraging us at, uh, at 7 o'clock each night, 1,900 hours, the 19 in reference to the COVID-19 virus, at 1,900 hours to be specifically praying for our world, for our nation, and for, uh, for, for events that are transpiring right now, that God indeed will glorify himself. He will act powerfully and mightily in these situations. He will do that to bring glory to his name. So I encourage you, set a, uh, a timer on your phone if you've got one, alarm clock at home for 1,900 hours each night so that it will remind us all to be praying specifically and collectively together to our God through this particular crisis. Folks, we've, uh, we've seen this week uh, there's been a big online campaign about Anzac Day and the fact that Anzac Day services and memorials have been cancelled uh, for the, you know, this, this year. And uh, so there's been this huge big drive online to have everyone in Australia at 6 o'clock on the April the 25th to walk out onto their driveway in remembrance of Anzacs. Folks, as Christians, surely we too should be setting the example in, uh, in, a, in, in, in coming before God and showing our world that our God is in control, that our God is indeed the hope for all of mankind and the only hope for mankind in our current situation. Should we be the ones who are leading from the front in this as God's church? Of course, in this current climate, we're seeing the worthlessness, worthlessness so many earthly things that people put their confidence and trust in. And we're seeing that these things can do little for us. You know, Jehoshaphat himself, as the king of, of Judah, he had amassed for himself a fairly kind of, a, you know, quite a lot of wealth and a lot of power in his day. He had all manner of resources at his disposal. He himself had a large army. He had lots of gold and silver. He had power and authority as king. None of these were going to save him and his people. He knew that ultimately his life and the lives of his people were in God's hands. And knowing this, he calls the nation to prayer and fasting. And I think as God's church in this nation and around the world, we ourselves need to be coming before God in prayer and fasting together, asking that God would indeed work mightily in this situation. Folks, right now, we as God's people need to be praying like we have never prayed before. We need to be setting our face towards God, fixing our eyes upon him and asking him to act compassionately and powerfully. 
to bring a halt to the spread of this virus, but also to reveal himself in new ways, in fresh ways, to those people who do not know him in any way, shape or form, but to show the world that there is indeed God who is ruler over all things. As I said, our world puts its confidence, its hope, its trust in so many earthly things today. And I believe that this can be a time where God really shows this world that he is indeed true, that he is real, that he is powerful, that he is God who indeed saves. We have a huge opportunity as God's church to be wonderful witnesses to those around about us them to the hope and confidence that comes from being the children of God. We truly, as God's people, have nothing to fear, don't we? We we don't have anything to fear. We know that even if we should die, we will be with Jesus. That is our hope. That is our confidence. Paul, writing to uh, to the church, to the Christian in Philippi, knowing that he could use his life, at any moment says, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Grant has already mentioned that this morning. For me to live is Christ. Therefore, if we to, to live, then we continue to serve Christ. We continue to live in the, in the knowledge of his grace, his goodness, and his mercy and his provision. But to die is even better. It is gain, for we will be with him. Now, that does not mean that we should be reckless, but we should be ready to show the love of Christ and help the needs of those, help meet the needs of those around us. And we'll talk a little bit more about that next week. Jehoshaphat, his fears to God, urged his people to do the same. Jehoshaphat also turned to God because of what he knew about God. We see that in verses 5 and 6. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord, of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. We perceive God will dramatically impact the way in which we respond to Him. If we believe that God is not good, then we will not come to God. We will not see God in the midst of this or at any time we believe that God is not in control, then we will seek to trust in our own resources rather than, than trust in him. If we believe God is not all-powerful, then we will certainly not look to him to save us. But Jehoshaphat knew God as the God who was in heaven, the one who rules and reigns over all. He is the God who is the only God, the one true God the God who is far above any God or gods of this world. That he is the one who holds all kingdoms and nations and rulers in his hands. That he is the all-powerful, mighty God, and there is nothing, no one that can defeat him or indeed thwart his purposes in our world today. He is indeed in control of all things. And even now, God is in control of our world all that is happening. He is in control of your life and he's in control of the lives of your loved ones. And the, 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 the beacon call, the clarion call to us today is will we trust him? Will we trust him as God in the midst of what we're facing right now? Will you trust God in the midst of your life and in all of the challenges and the needs and all of the fears and the 
anxieties and all the doubts and all the confusion and all the frustrations and all, will you indeed trust God at this time? Of course, Jehoshaphat had confidence in God because of how, of not only who he knew who God was, but of how God had also acted in the past on behalf of his people. In verses 7 and 8, he says, Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house. And we will cry out to you in our affliction and you will hear and say. Jehoshaphat had confidence in God because of how God had acted in the past. God is indeed the unchanging God. We sing it, but do we believe it? God is indeed the same yesterday, today and forever. That how God has acted in the past, we can trust that that's exactly how we will, he, will, he will act today and exactly how he will act tomorrow and the next day and the next week and the next year and so on. God is the unchanging God. God had brought his people into the promise. He had promised through, the, through Abraham that he would bring his people. He would make Abraham into a great nation. He promised through the, uh, the patriarchs that he would bring his people into a land, a land flowing with milk and honey. We've been looking at that in our series in Exodus. And time and time again, God had acted so that he could indeed fulfill that promise. He'd rescued his people from slavery in Egypt. He'd brought them through the Red Sea. He gave them victory over their enemies in the land of Canaan. God is for his people. And folks, we see that ourselves through the cross through the cross of Christ, that God is indeed for his people, that he is the God who indeed rescues his people. He is indeed the God who provides, protects, watches over his people, who comforts his people, who cares for his people, and will indeed fulfill all of his promises to his people. And again, we we just hark back to even just last week's message where we focused a fair bit on that. If you can't remember... you to go onto the website this week and listen to that uh, that message last week from Exodus, uh, chapters three and four. We see it through Christ. We see it through the promises of the Word of God. We see it in the way that God has built and continues to build His church today. And you know there are there are all kinds of uh, you know doubts and concerns about what's happened to the church at the moment in the current climate what is going to happen to the church i mean if we can't meet physically in buildings and things like that what's going to happen to god's church but we need to keep in mind god said that i will build my church and the gates of hades will not prevail against it so we can trust god that he will continue to build his church even in this situation amen amen we don't need to fear or doubt ultimately god doesn't need us to build his church he'll do it himself in fact, we see even in some of the countries around the world where, the, where, the, where they're closed to the gospel, God is indeed saving people in those countries. Through no gospel witness through, you know, through human beings, God is saving people in that regard. We can trust that God will 
continue to build his church. We also see that God is for his people in the fact that he has, has, he's, he has met our needs in the past and God will continue to meet our needs into the future. I encourage you this week to maybe even just, just reflect upon your own journey with God over the past, you know, over the past years and reflect back on those times in your life where you have seen God work on your behalf. The first place you need to go back to is the, place, is the time where you actually you trusted Jesus as your Lord and Saviour for the first time. That was God acting on your behalf, calling you to be a part of his family. But I'm sure that there are many instances through your lives that you can testify about to where God has been at work. And it is at these times we need to go back and remind ourselves of the fact that God has indeed been faithful. And God is faithful and God will continue to be faithful to us. Because of who God is, we can confidently come before him and ask him to help us in our situation today and trust that God will do the right thing. 1 Peter 5, 7 reminds us to cast all our cares on him. Why? Because God cares for us. He cares for you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God cares for you? Romans 8, 28 tells us that God works all things together for good for those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. Do you believe today that God works all things together for good for those who love him? Do you believe that? Do you stand on that? Isaiah 26.3 says, You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Do you truly Believe that God will indeed give you a peace beyond understanding in the midst of circumstances if our eyes are fixed on him. Do you believe that today, folks? That there is a peace of God available to us. Philippians 4, 6 reminds us that we are not to be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and meditation, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. Do you believe that you can bring everything today to your heavenly Father with prayer, with thanksgiving? You know, I'm sure there are many people at the moment who are finding it hard to be thankful for their circumstances, particularly when they're wondering how on earth they're going to pay the bills this week. But God reminds us that we are to bring everything with, to him with prayer, and with thanksgiving, the thanksgiving comes not from our circumstances, but from the one whom we know, the one who loves us, the one who is, that holds us in his hands. We can thank God that we are his and he is ours. You know, in this passage, as the people pray to God, he gives them a word through the prophet Jehaziel, that God will fight for them. We see that actually as you go on further in the passage. It says in verse 13, Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, 
Benaiah, the son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. And he said, listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Folks, the battle today is not ours, but God's. God has promised to be with us, to go before us. God will again act on behalf of his people. All he asked of his people here was that they would go to the battlefield and, uh, and, and stand ground and watch God act on their behalf. And folks, the battlefield before us now is not a physical battlefield where we are facing an army, an invading horde. The battlefield for us is now very much centred around who or what we will put our trust and hope in. That is our battlefield today. Our battlefield is the battlefield of fear versus faith. It is the battlefield where God promises he will be with his people. And it is the battlefield where God calls us to stand our ground. There are many challenges that, you know, to, uh, to confront and overcome, but God is with us. And we need to faithfully be his people, people of prayer, people of praise, people of thanksgiving, people who have unshakable confidence in God, people whose eyes are fixed firmly on him and who trust. Bible app on my phone and uh, one of the uh, each day it sends me through a Bible verse for the day and yesterday it was from Jeremiah 17 verses 7 to 8 and it reads this blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord whose trust is the Lord he is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green, and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Folks, yet the heat is being applied right now through circumstances and through our situation in our world today. And in fact, there are many who are anxious. It is indeed looking like it's going to be a year of drought. But as the people of God, we should be like this tree. That even in the midst of these harrowing and challenging and difficult circumstances, we can be people who stand, you know, who stand out in those contexts and, and be like the tree whose, whose roots go down deep into the stream, the, the, the love and the goodness of, of our God. And whose leaves then, because of that, are bright and green, flourishing. We can indeed flourish the people of God through these times. Do you believe that today? I know that trusting God is not always as simple as it seems. It's easy to say trust in God and fix your eyes on him, especially when things are difficult and uncertain. And folks, this is why we are going to need to encourage one another. We're going to need to stand with one another in this. No man is 
island. We cannot afford to be islands in this context. Even though we may be separated through, you know, physically, we must not be separated emotionally or spiritually as the people of God. We need to keep together. And we need to encourage one another. We need to find ways, creative ways of doing that. For the time being, church is not going to look or be the same. That doesn't mean that we stop being the church. I remember watching a movie several years back on the event surrounding the mission of Apollo 13. That, that was the name of the movie. I think it was called Apollo 13. And uh, it was meant to land, um, do a moon landing. And things went incredibly wrong. It's from, those, from that particular mission you get those words that are, that are spoken a, a lot of times. Houston, we have a problem. In that situation, it appeared that not only were they not going to be able to land on the moon, it looked as though they were going to lose the astronauts, that, those, that they were going to be basically just flung into space and never heard or seen from again. And in the control room, someone said that this could be the greatest disaster in NASA's history. The greatest disaster. The main controller of the day, a guy called Gene Krantz, said, I beg to disagree, for I believe that this is going to be our finest. As we look to God in the midst of this situation, in the midst of our world circumstances, this has the opportunity of being the church's finest and of bringing glory to God through that. When we rise and demonstrate to the world of what it really means to know and serve a God who is glorious, a God who is mighty, a God who is gracious, a God who is merciful, a God who is loving, and a God who is true. We have that opportunity today as his people. Can I encourage that at those times when you may feel powerless, when the doubts and the fears and the anxieties creep in, can I encourage you to go back to this passage in 2 Chronicles 20 and to that verse 12 where it says, we do not know what to do, Lord, but our eyes are on you. Will you look to God? Will you seek his face? Will you be reminded of his love and his faithfulness, of his power and his goodness? certain hope that is yours in Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you this morning and we thank you that we can indeed call you our Lord, our Saviour and our God. Not only that, Lord, we, th we thank you also that you are indeed the one who has has overcome even our greatest enemy in this world, that being death. And that all who put hope and trust in you need not fear, but have confident assurance that you are indeed with them in all circumstances and all situations. Knowing that we are firmly in your hands, that God, that you are indeed the one who is even now in control situation in our world that has reminded us already this morning, Lord, in our prayer time with the team, that, that everything is ordained and allowed by you, sovereign God. You have purposes in the midst of this. Your purposes will be fulfilled 
we are assured of that. Lord, help us, your people, to walk in the confidence we have in you, not in ourselves, not in the things of this world, not in our earthly leaders or anything like that, but Lord, but that our eyes would be firmly fixed on you, that we would be reminded each and every day that you are our God, that we are your children. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to live lives that truly reflect that so that, Lord, you might be lifted up and glorified and pulled down to you. And we ask it in the saving name of Jesus. Amen.